Do you remember about three years ago on the show, I admitted that I was having something of a midlife crisis and had bought a skateboard? I remember the skateboard. Okay. I have a new skateboard. Oh, yeah, you got another one. <laughs> I got another one. All right. However... This time it was actually bought for me. Okay. As opposed to me saying, hey, I'm going to spend X amount amount of hundreds of pounds on this board that I will then fail to use and use as a doorstop. Right. This one I've actually actually been using to the extent that I went round, uh, myself and Graham went on a wee skate uh, near the River Kelvin over some nice tarmac on Sunday. And there were people who are clearly looking at me being like, mate, you're far too old to be skating about in Mary Hill. Right. To the extent an old man, as I was going past him, and, you know, I was given my six feet of space. Yeah. He muttered under his breath, unbelievable skateboards. (laughs) I couldn't tell if he was impressed or he was disgusted. It was one of the two. Yeah, to be fair, maybe he was just, like, really impressed. He was like, man... I wish I had this courage and confidence to skate in public. <laughs> he he skates around his house every day, practicing just so that he can eventually skate outdoors too. I am yet to bail off the boards or fall, but I do go down some hills awfully fast and think, see if see if I fell off. Yeah. You know, that's my modeling career over. Do you know the tricks for falling? Uh, t- attempt to do it without breaking anything. All right. Well, okay. So here's the tricks for falling. Uh, be wearing a helmet. For starters, don't forget step number one, wear a helmet, even if it looks daft. Yep. Uh, And then step number two, tuck your arms in. Don't don't try and catch the blow with your arms because you will just like skin them and break your arms. Just because I know the tricks doesn't mean that I fall and do a good job. If I fall, I will break my (laughs) arms. Um, But I'm giving you the advice just just in case you've got more mental fortitude and you can remember to tuck and, and kind of like land on the muscles rather than on your palms and on your wrists and on blah, 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 blah. Do, do you know, actually, something I learned in school, and it's, it haunted me after I heard it, which was when you're walking, avoid putting your hands in your pockets because if you trip and your hands are in your pockets, you're going to land in your face. Yeah. And despite the fact that that is, that's not, you know, people don't just fall like trees. <laughs> you, know, you you can't you do have the time to take your hands out your pocket and embrace yeah. your your fall but for whatever reason i heard that and thought wow nah. i am never ever walking down the street with my hands in my pockets ever again nah that that's that's just some elitist trash they can't handle the cool kids with their hands in their pockets and looking all cool and stuff so they're like trying to think of like grandma's tales to help you make your mind up about how to live a good decent life and that's that's nonsense you follow your hands in your pockets you've got enough time to remove your hands from your pockets exactly and also if you follow your hands in your pockets you've got enough time to like lean and roll onto your side so you don't land on your face but you land on like your shoulder you know twist twist in the air a wee bit i have fallen off my bike several times i mean when i was a teenager i used to do road cycling competitively i was terrible right but i did it you know, to try and beat other people. Yes. And the amount of times where you would be attempting to essentially get that uh, sheltered wind protection from the cyclist in front of you by essentially hugging their back wheel uh-huh. uh, and uh, getting that wind resistance and saving some energy. But the amount of times that I tried to do that and got way too close and then clipped my wheel off the person in front of me's wheel, Oop. like Oop. at least three or four times, and there was a couple of big spills that I took down hills, and there were, you know, blood and oh. grazes, and I do have scars on mainly my knees and, and elbows from that. So, you know, was wearing a helmet for that, but there's no precaution for someone just being very bad 
uh, sport. <laughs> just, I'm, I'm really, I can't judge distances too great. <laughs> They're totally cycle because I can't, I can't, I can't tell when the wheels are too close together. I mean, the other issue was that I would hear, you know, all the cyclists would have a we get together and a cup of tea uh-huh. after each of these meets, and a cup of tea. Yeah, seriously, a cup of tea. And so I can't imagine doing exercise in the morning. More, more hot, please. So, uh, I mean, it's the north of Scotland, and it was usually a Tuesday. So, oh uh, yeah, I actually just don't. I, I, if it's cold, I just don't exercise. That's the <laughs> that's the difference. And we'd be having these post race meetups, and I remember one of the first weeks, the guy who was he was pretty good, but he was he was pushing forty, maybe fifty, right? And he was saying, yeah, he was like, I was I was going so hard up a hill, you know, I was going so hard that I could see black spots in the corner of my eyes. What? Because I was about to pass out. Don't go that hard. And I, I was, I was sitting there like, I was just enjoying the scenery and looking at the cows and saying, "Isn't that a lovely I night?" Don't think of that serious. I mean, like, was it a competition there? Was it a practice? There? Yeah, no. It's all. It's always you know. You were always trying to beat everybody else in this time trial every Tuesday. Right. And this guy, and, and everyone was just nodding around like, "Yeah, yeah, I've been there, man. I know what you're talking about." And I'm sitting there <laughs> like, "Well, clearly, I'm not doing something right because I come back from this time trial with a mild sweat." You gotta take this thing more seriously. <laughs> you're, if you're not nearly passing out, you're not doing it right. <laughs> what are we talking about here? <laughs> <laughs> get sweaty, blackout, get sweaty. Advice for 2021. Okay. You've been blacking out and get well. Sorry, I'll rephrase. You have been almost blacking out over the last couple of days with the oh, level man. of uh, work you've been doing. Huge amounts of production work. Yeah. T- uh, t- tell me what's been happening. Let's let's hear a succinct summary. Succinct summary. Well, uh, as we've mentioned in the podcast before, I am uh, doing quite a lot of work to do with a fortnightly tournament. And for any Americans, there fortnightly means two weeks. And a big part of that is making uh, or editing down interviews into. Uh, Usually two to three minute video. Okay. Um, to play before a matchup between two players. Um, this week, the final week of the tournament, uh, we have two of the more well known people on Twitch who aren't actually in the game itself, in Rocket League itself, but are just big streamers. Right. Playing against each other. They did their interview. Um, except they did it live on t- Twitch with all people. Uh, unmuted on call at the same time so I, I've been try- I spent two days trying to edit oh. 26 minutes of oh. two perspective four person call footage down into an interview video that sounds absolutely it, disgusting it, it was awful genuinely awful and the, <laughs> the product's pretty good like I'm pretty proud of the result but okay. I've never been so upset trying to figure out where to put different clips of audio and when to switch to the other person's perspective. And then when you switch to one person's perspective, the other person's audio gets worse because it's all of a sudden on call rather than live. Yep, of course. It was stressy. And then I had to do all the usual work after that as well. (laughs) Wow. Well, I mean, the the reason I must apologize to Seesaw Parade's regular listeners, the first week of the year where we've had to actually postpone an episode, which, you know, after eight, nine weeks of the year, not bad going. I'll take that. Not bad. But yeah, uh, yeah, I had a similar thing in which I had all my regular work and then one of my old clients who uh, makes me, sorry, doesn't make me, he pays me (laughs) to to do voiceovers about radiation, was like, hey, Colin, I've got a little project for you. It's 177 different slides. Can you please voice them by Sunday? What? And uh, (laughs) look, man has money. Got a tax bill to pay. <laughs> I took that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then my uh, and then I had a Japanese client get in touch and say, "Hey, can you write me another metal song?" So I oh right, shorted that one out in record time. 
And then this morning, recorded a, a, an advert for an Asian company, which is going to air on the borders. And what? It's just, what the pandemic has just changed everything. I tell you. What are you advertising in the borders? Uh, fiber broadband. Go Fiber. For what company? Go Fiber. Go Fiber. Which sounds a bit like a shredded wheat competitor, but no. It does. That's, it, sounds like, it sounds like breakfast. It's a lifestyle choice and also a broadband <laughs> provider. Go Fiber. Are your bowels misbehaving? <laughs> Go Fiber. And also, as an added bonus, you get good Wi-Fi. Okay, anyway, welcome to <laughs> Seesaw Parade, episode 239. We are finally here, and I am Colin. He is still James. Still Jim, indeed. Or, or Jim on Twitter, as I've seen you've changed your name to. I just, I couldn't handle seeing my full name so often anymore. <laughs> it's, we've all been there. Do, do you have a repulsion to your own name at all? Any element of I, that? I do a little bit, because I feel the name Colin is old-fashioned and... I I'm not a big fan of my own name. Right. I'll be honest. I don't I don't know what I think of it. I think I'm pretty neutral on my name itself, which is seeing James, it. James is a good name. Seeing it here and there and mostly everywhere, it gets tired tiresome. It's a it's a lot of syllables when you put the surname in there as well. I I don't want to have to read that every every time I open Twitter. So yeah, we're, we've abbreviated okay. quite quite a lot. We'll see how long James lasts until it becomes just J. 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 Just it just becomes. The uh, the top line of the letter J at the uh, the end of the year. Oh man, don't tempt me. Okay. <laughs> anyway, if you want to get in touch with any of us, either of us on Twitter, <laughs> anyone, you can touch on anyone. Just you know, write them a letter. But you can get in touch with the show. Yeah. At Seesaw Parade on Twitter, or you can do what my good friend Luke did. Ooh. Actually, uh, replied on Instagram. I put a, a picture of this sliding cupboard slash studio onto my uh, Instagram, and he replied by uh, saying, "You should probably do a podcast." <laughs> and at this point I started questioning my friendship with this person I think you said good friend right <laughs> I did I did I said uh, my first reply was a capital letters mate followed by a bit of a diatribe about how he has missed this and not listened to it however he did listen to it and said that uh, you two are great you're like oh. the two old men in Sesame Street yes just marginally less grumpy and Scottish less Scottish I think he means and more Scottish as opposed right. to less Scottish. Got it. And then he says, and James also keeps you in check, which is a new one. Do I? I thought it was the other way around. Uh, apparently you do. Yes. According I'm to the sensible one. Englishmen on on Instagram. So thank you, Luke, for your appraisal. <laughs> and I trust you enjoyed the episode. We ran a poll of Englishmen on Instagram. <laughs> 100% say that James is a sensible one. 100% compared us to Sesame Street. But yes, you can... <laughs> If you have listened to anything or watched a movie or finished a TV show, get in touch and send us your review as uh, many of you have done in the last few weeks. It's been lovely. You can also send us an email, seesawparade at gmail.com, and we will read it out for you. If there's anything you would like to discuss or challenge uh, over the next 50 minutes or so. Yep, yep, yep. And James, we do actually uh, have some some news to discuss, which is lovely. Oh, I've got a question first. Okay. If you were one of the old Muppets, which one would you be? Statler or War- Waldorf? Wal- Wardlorf? <laughs> Waldorf. Waldorf is the blue one, right? I thought they were both blue. Okay, well, he's the one with the, the beak. No, I think, I'm thinking of the wrong one. I'm thinking of the real... Oh, no, no, no. no you're no, thinking no. of, like, the eagle. Oh, um, no, you mean the really old guys who are... Yeah, the, the ones that we are. <laughs> the, the, sorry. The ones who came to mind, first of all, were Burton, were Burton Ernie, and I knew that he didn't mean that, so I was struggling to think who it is, but now I know what, what he means. I would be the one who is, who's got the moustache. 
as opposed to the one who looks like he's melting. Oh, okay, you're, you're Waldorf then. Okay, I'm Waldorf then. I'll be Statler. The slightly more handsome one of the two. I guess. Depends on what you like in a guy. <laughs> Indeed it does. Okay, well, on that note, Boris Johnson, everybody. Let's kick off the show. <laughs> Never the slightly more attractive of the two. Okay, James, a new four-step plan to ease lockdown across the UK, well, particularly in England here, Indeed. could see every restriction on social contact lifted by June the 21st, says the Prime Minister. The height of summer. This is the news indeed that Boris Johnson has laid out his plan for unlocking lockdown, <laughs> telling MPs that this was to be a cautious but irreversible plan of action. What? And that at every stage, decisions would be led by data and not dates, which is ironic, considering he has given us Gave the date. several dates in which to uh, to judge this yeah. by. So, Boris, we'll get to Scotland in just a second. Absolutely. Boris has said that shops, hairdressers, gyms, and outdoor hospitality could reopen early April. Uh, May, middle of May, May 17th, two households might be allowed to mix in homes, and you'd have the rule of six back in places like pubs. And uh, then you would have all social contacts lifted by... June 21st. Although it does have the caveat of ift. It, or sort of ift. If, ift. Ift. <laughs> ift thine strictest conditions are thine met. So that's the, the plan what? from Bojo. What? I don't know. But anyway, the, the main point here is, and I'll, I'll start, the, I'll kick this off. Boris has been speaking over the last 10 days or so, reiterating this data, not dates. Right. And for him to then come out With a bunch of dates. and give dates yeah. is something which puzzles me greatly because he could have done what Nicola Sturgeon did, which we'll get to in a second, and give maybe a date Ah. for the start of things to be unlocked, which is fine because people do need to have something in their diaries. Yes. But this to me, James, seems like another bad idea of predicting when things are going to be over, despite the fact we're in February and this is now four months off. So let's hear what you think. Lesson not learned, indeed. I agree. I think the only date that we should be getting given is the estimated date for when the next step will occur. Not like the estimated date for when the final step will occur. I think that's daft. I think giving people a date clearly is somehow deemed necessary. So I'll agree with that, sure. Apparently everybody needs a date to agree with things and to settle down and wait. Um, That's fine. The more important thing is the data and it is the the keys that will unlock whatever, blah, 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 all the tests and things. And I think for the first time, we actually do have a, a checklist Oh, wait, this isn't the first time. Last time we had a checklist, they just started ignoring it the day after yeah. we had a checklist. No, no, they introduced the checklist and said, we must meet these strict conditions, and then they just forgot about it. And then they never bothered yep. with those. So, yeah, so actually, let's do the checklist again, I suppose, uh, but let's actually stick to it this time. We know the checklist is pretty detailed. Um, if they can stick to it, even if it's going slow, um, they might still do this in an irreversible manner. But I don't like the word irreversible because if we're too ambitious and we take a step too soon and things get bad, I feel like maybe reversing is the right call. Um, so there's there's questions here, but it, it's better than just going, hey, we'll be, we'll be free by Christmas and then giving no actual goals or 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 um, ambition the problem to me here of course beyond the just data not dates which has then been completely ignored in this plan <laughs> is the fact that 
as you say, Boris has said this is irreversible. Yeah. And the amount of times we have seen the Prime Minister and his ilk lay out plans, which then ha- they've gone back on. Mm-hmm. Christmas, as you say, is one that uh, comes to mind. And even uh, I was seeing an old tweet from mid-March of last year in which Boris said, here was our 12-week plan to get to zero COVID. Wow. Which... I thought, in hindsight, is horrendous and also laughable. Indeed. Considering we are now at, what, close to 120,000 deaths in the UK? Yeah, it is horrible looking back at the things that were being said in the start by the leaders. Like, sure, yeah. as little plebs can be ambitious, but I think people who have had entire scientific bodies advising them should have learned by then and by now how to set out goals. Okay, but the the issue is, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, the scientists have been saying for a long time, stop giving people dates Indeed. or predicting stuff because yeah. you can't. Yeah. You can't. You literally cannot predict what this virus is going to do, what the new variants are going to do and how they're going to face up to the vaccines. Yeah. And whilst the data, which we'll get to with the vaccines, is encouraging, it is far from a guarantee that we're going to be out of the woods at a certain point. Yeah. And, and the most important thing in that is the fact that we do not know when a variant will emerge that the vaccines aren't as effective against. Yeah. So it's like I'm like planning for that variable is is a bad idea. Okay, so let's compare that then to what's been happening in Scotland. Now, the I can understand well, sorry, I use understand loosely. I can see why Boris has given these dates and these uh qualifiers because he's had so much pressure from within his own party to unlock stuff. Whereas we've seen with Nicola Sturgeon and her announcement it's been far more cautious, and then she's been attacked by opposition parties for being too cautious. So, here north of the border, we are going to see shops, bars, restaurants, gyms, hairdressers expected to start reopening from April 26th, which is over two months away. Right. Uh, the First Minister said she was hopeful that the stay-at-home restrictions could be lifted uh, by April 5th, which is about five weeks away, and that four people from two households would be allowed to meet outdoors from within a couple of weeks in the middle of March. Uh, Primary pupils and uh, S4 to S6 pupils are also expected to return to school from that date. However, other pupils are unlikely to return until at least May time. So this framework, as it has been described, uh, Mrs. Rather, Miss Sturgeon said it was a deliberately cautious strategic framework. Yeah. So do you feel then that she's got the balance more right than Bojo in terms <laughs> yeah. of predicting what's happening? It's like the big difference between more right and right. It's it's really the key for the way that we're doing, Nicola and we are doing things in Scotland. It's like, again, it's just a bit, more right but that doesn't that's not good that's not good enough i i i think the that boris making such a a a a fuss and messing it up quite a bit here um and then nicola coming out and being like here's a date and some goals but then being so much more vague that there's a whole bunch of people complaining still isn't ideal i don't think she set enough like things in stone like yeah if we get the R rate here for this long, then this stuff like that. There wasn't enough uh-huh. concrete in the, in the statement. So, so just a couple of added points here. It was Ruth Davidson who is the current, I want to say, Scottish Conservative leader, temporarily unsure. But anyway, she said uh, that the framework was a holding statement, which is yeah, arguably a fair point. And the other part is that a bunch of businesses have come out to say that this is just not enough to say April 26th is 
maybe the date that things start to open. And to me, and here's my point, because you and I, James, have been in, you know, live in Glasgow and have been under the toughest restrictions since November. And even before that, in September, we were in tier three. This tiered system will work for places like the Highlands and Islands where population densities are sparse enough that they can actually move up the tiers and get back to some sense of normality. Right, yeah. But I feel that putting the likes of Glasgow and Edinburgh back into a tiered system just puts us into a similar state that we were in at the end of last year, which was you're going to be in restrictions, virus infections will continue to happen at a rate that's not enough to make things worse, but it's not enough to make things better. So I don't know... I genuinely don't know what the solution is instead, other than, well, I don't know. Well, I think... Well, sorry, sorry, just just what Boris said, to quote Boris, oh, no. that the idea of getting to zero COVID or zero cases is currently just not, it's not practical and it's not going to work. <laughs> no longer feasible. Right, yeah, then, exactly. Yeah. That's a much better turn of phrase. And that's fair. So when do we get to the point of saying, okay, COVID's going to be like the flu, where we have yeah. uh, spikes at winter and people get uh, inoculated against it? Well, at what point do we say, right, enough's enough, let's get back to, again, oh. in air quotes, normality? Probably when it's down towards like flu levels of um, prevalence, right? Uh, I think the tier system has a lot going for it. It's just it has to be more strict in its, like, as as with national lockdowns and stuff and roadmaps out of it the tier system has to have defined targets for when you're in each tier and when you go up and down the tiers uh, it is completely possible to have those targets be variable according to population density i'm not sure if they are they probably should be so if the rate of infection in, in one place is 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 looking uh, quite low but it's only because the infections are very localized in a small area in that place. We need to have that kind of level of variability. Um, I'm not sure what I just said would make sense. It probably didn't. So the tier systems kind of have strengths. I do think that the way that we had them before, if we just do a copy-paste, will mean that places like Glasgow and the surrounding area and places like Edinburgh and the surrounding area will go in and out of three and four yep. until we're out of it, yep. until everyone's vaccinated. But it is the vaccines that are going to give us the path to normality where it's just a seasonal flu and by just a seasonal flu i mean like something that everybody needs vaccinated against every single year because it is worse than the flu yeah even amongst the youth the flu you can have and be fine later on covid you can have and be screwed for the rest of your life even if you're fully fit mid-20s right yeah um so there's there's we cannot let forget the goal of safety because it's not ever going to be just the flu even if we have vaccines and even if it never evolved again and we just have this, these current version of versions of covid forever it, 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 this isn't this isn't the path but you know we can't really predict that far in the future but hey maybe by christmas we'll we'll we'll, we'll all be free <laughs> okay well a lovely segue there just into one final uh, aspect of the story before we move on and that is the vaccines themselves uh, the first data on the rollout suggests it is having a spectacular impact on stopping the worst most serious illness so within a couple of weeks one shot of the vaccine has reduced the risk of being admitted to hospital by at least 75 percent mm-hmm. for those in the over 80s group and that is that is really good that is good news to have that's great it will be a big relief to know that 
a lot of hospitals are going to be less busy. That's good. They can they can start working towards dealing with the usual affairs of hospitals and all the patients that have had to wait for more than a year to get seen for specific things now. Uh, one final question. Do you have any niggling illnesses or issues that you've just put off yeah. because of the current state that we're in? Because I do. Yeah, I do. I'm waiting. I'm waiting until... Um, some time has passed and then I'll call the GP and be like, hey oh, issue here. Yep. Please check it. Well, mine, mine I'm going to share mine. Here we go. Embarrassing bodies. Well, it's not that embarrassing. Right. I just have like a weird kind of cyst on my shoulder. All right. And it's, it's they've given me drugs for it in the last couple of years and it just hasn't done anything. But right. bo- both times they were like, oh, it's just a cyst. There you go. Have some drugs. Yeah. And it's it's still there. It's, it's weird. It's a bit like jelly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully... You can get seen to eventually. I can see why you'd wait, though. That is a that is a niggle. yeah. It's it's just not the time. Do you have a do you have have you set a deadline for the day that you will call the GP? <laughs> uh, we'll see. I mean, it hasn't. It doesn't do anything. It just sits there. So yeah, maybe like maybe May time. But uh, I trust that you too, James, will go to the doctor for your erectile dysfunction when the time is right. Uh, no, I already got that scene too. That was that was a big enough deal that I went right in. Uh, right big enough. COVID. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am ten years old. Right, James, let's talk some other news over the last week or so. And we're going to start with Matt Hancock, Cat Mancock, everybody's least favourite health secretary. Oh, Oh, they're just unreal. Who has been found guilty of unlawfully keeping the details of all the government contracts that he and his department had signed during the pandemic. So a judge said that Mr. Hancock had breached his legal obligation by not publishing the details within a month of the contracts being signed and that the public had a right to know where these vast amounts of money had gone and how the contracts were awarded. Yeah. The, uh, this is on the back of the Department for Health and Social Care, which, as we've talked about on the show before, struck deals worth literally billions of pounds during the yeah. pandemic. And then these contracts, dozens of them, were kept to themselves. Didn't tell anyone. Yeah. James, this story has, uh, has really failed to ignite the public consciousness oh. as we would have hoped. Why is that? Yeah, the, like, once again, the only person doing any serious uh, digging on it is Piers Morgan, uh, <laughs> occasional hero of the nation. <laughs> so weird. Um, the big one for me for this is I was actually upset. And as usual, I considered several tweets and then realized it doesn't matter. Just don't tweet anything. Uh, it's my policy for everything is apparently just don't tweet. Um, oh, me too. Because I caught this story uh, like sometime in, late in the morning. When the when actually when the court case settled and we had the result, and then I was kind of just like refreshing news here and there, being like, okay, when's somebody going to give me a report I can read? Because I I'd like to do more than read a Twitter thread about this from what is it the Good Law Project? Nothing. Nada. Nothing. Uh, several hours, like I think an hour later or whatever, I get a ping on my phone, an actual push notification for a stupid non-story about the royal family. Nothing was reported until late in the afternoon, as far as I could tell, about this story. And that's why it petered out. We had another case of this government yep. working outside of the law, doing whatever they please, getting told 
hey, stop breaking the law, and then going, oh, we might not break the law next time, you know, and it'll be okay, and nobody reports. This is resignation-worthy. Even right. in a, a pandemic, even in a health crisis like this, this is resignation-worthy. Well, so here's the difference now. In 2021, I believe resignations, unless you're a football manager, are things of the past. Because oh, I thought those were a thing of the past too. Thing like, and Neil Lennon <laughs> took us time. Yeah, Neil Lennon eventually. But anyway, that's a story for another day. So if you're in the government, you don't need to resign. Just stay quiet. Don't tweet for a few days. Yeah. Or in this case, a few hours. Yeah. And by that point, the story has moved on, and all is forgotten and forgiven, and you still have a job. Yeah. Genuinely, I I cannot foresee unless it's the most scandal. Actually, you know what? No, Dominic Cummings didn't resign. No, and that should and that should have been a whole host of resignations, and we didn't see a single one, or very very few, I should say. No. So that to me is a sign that these government ministers and secretaries are beyond reproach now, and that even if you are literally condemned for breaking the law. Nothing happens, and you don't, and there's zero accountability. Yeah, the only hope is that going forward, after pandemic and after big drama, we see like civil groups making an effort to have people held accountable because the government is clearly not going to do it themselves. Uh, beyond even uh, just our leading party, Labour had barely anything to say. Keir Starmer. A, an absolute disappointment. I almost tweeted about how boring he was. That's how boring yeah. he is. He's impressively bland. <laughs> like he just came across as mildly disappointed. He's like, oh well, oh, I'm, uh, that man, happened. That was a shame, wasn't I it? I guess that's. I'm like, he's called the opposition. Does he know what that word means? It's his job to to like actually stand up and oppose things, especially when illegal things have been done. Or unlawful things, I suppose. He's like the maths teacher you didn't respect in school who is caught like one of the worst pupils chewing gum yeah. at the end of his class. He just says, oh, you know what, that's just, that's, t- that's unacceptable. Yeah, and, what, and what else did he do? He took a harder stance against the decriminalization of marijuana than he did against government acting unlawfully. And his stance for, for the marijuana thing was also embarrassingly st- stupid. Like, I, I don't even know how to, how to describe. He was just like, we can't decriminalize it because criminals are are running the market and that's bad. And I'm like, if you decriminalize it, then you have legitimate market and the criminals don't yep. have one any anymore. And this guy's a lawyer, right? He's done this. He's done law before. He is at least a couple of times, and his his answers for everything are, are weak and boring. And this big moment where government has yet again uh, broken the law. Nothing from Starmer. Jeremy Corbyn still went for it, as he did the last time, and as the most successful opposition leader in British history, he's he's someone that you can that Starmer can clearly learn a lesson from. Okay, well, you did mention the story that gazumped this one, the uh, Matt Hancock one, being a crook. Yeah, this is the story of Harry and Meghan, which I'm only going to give a cursory mention to, and more an analysis on the media coverage that absolutely followed. So this was the news that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex will not be returning as working members of the royal family. And that was uh, following a statement from Buckingham Palace that uh, Harry and Meghan will not be continuing with the responsibilities and duties that come with a life of public service. Which is so surprised. uh, Indeed. And that they would remain much-loved members of the family. And this was uh, a couple of days after Meghan announced that she was pregnant with a second child. Can't believe it. So the coverage of this... As you say, James, was almost universal and 
It trumped apparently every other story that was happening on that particular day. And a lot of the coverage was close to abusive slash vitriolic towards particularly Megan and some sort of betrayal that uh, she had perceived, uh, some sort of perceived slight against the Queen. I believe that actually was the next day the Daily Mail's front page was something like, how dare they? And a picture, a stock image of the Queen looking very disapproving. Yeah. After the decided to say, you know what? I don't want to leech off the public funds anymore. See you later. Well, not as mu- yeah, they're not going to leech off the public funds as much. Um, <laughs> it's just such a non-story. We knew they weren't going to, to return. They, they, they pretty much made it clear from the day they left. It, okay, so, so why the media <laughs> hounding? Hmm. Hmm. Maybe they needed a distraction from the certain government of ours breaking the law again. <laughs> I don't see any other reason. It was so coincidentally timed. It was too good, too big of a non-story to get push notifications from, from all the government-supporting media trying to drown out any other story going on that day. And it was nonsense. And, of course, it's what everybody expected. As soon as the, the, the court case against the government came to its conclusion, people were asking, all right, what royal story is going to get pushed forward today? <laughs> I guess semi-jokingly, but 100% right, yet again. Well, the other issue, as you say, is the fact that Meghan Markle did win a court case just a couple of days before against, I want to say, the male, or perhaps it was the star, I can't remember, a, a, a few papers, yeah. it's Daily Mirror, they're all the same, <laughs> in which it was found that the, the papers had breached her privacy by publishing letters yeah. that she had sent to her father, and uh, she won, and clearly the papers were out for blood after that. I get that could be a part of it. I I suppose they are pretty vindictive, them old media papers. Oh yeah. Um and, and there's just all of the all these things stacked up against an informed um UK population. How are we supposed to be informed and outraged about the right things if we've got a media that is so intent on just driving the narrative towards non stories and vengeance? Okay. That's that's a fair point. Let's leave that there and move on. A couple more stories before we turn our attention to lighter matters. And this one, James, linked to the monarchy. <laughs> Moving on from the royals. <laughs> from the royals to the royals. This is a story uh, which came out last week, which actually revealed that the Queen, despite this uh, myth that she is a powerless figurehead, yeah, yeah. turned out she'd actually lobbied the government in order to conceal her private wealth from the public. Wow! This was uh, some documents which were found by uh, The Guardian, and uh, they were unearthed in the National Archives, which I believe have a 30-year limit, something Mm. like that. And it, it was then found that the Queen Elizabeth had pressured her private lawyer to put pressure on government ministers to change legislation which would then prevent her shareholdings from being disclosed to the public. And lo and behold, following her intervention, the government did did, did indeed insert a clause into this law which uh, granted itself the power to exempt companies used by heads of state, which was her, (laughs) from new transparency measures. So, James, this story, the actual uh, pressure that the Queen put on the government does go back a few decades, but it's evidence of the fact that she does have influence in, yeah. in what's happening in, in the world she, in the UK. And people are saying her goal is just to keep her public uh, perception good and people she doesn't want to people to realise how much of a whole how much holding she has in this and that. So we all still like her and don't see her as like insanely wealthy, I guess, even though we know they are. Um it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter. Even if all of her motives were real good, it doesn't matter. What we have is a figure, a figurehead uh, who claims and who everybody else claims to be completely powerless and without influence in British politics, who is influencing British politics and has been clearly for decades and probably will continue to. And yeah. as far as we can tell, has continued to. I think I remember somebody saying that there's been similar lobbies as this um, count, like countless times. I don't want to quote a number, but more than one, you know, a very unreasonable amount. The, the other story which linked to that was uh, the royals using a secretive procedure to vet three different parliamentary acts that prevented residents on Prince Charles' estate from buying their own homes. Yeah, yeah. So our good old Ch- Charles, Charles the uh, the lad... Um, just trying to keep people in in rental rather than being able to purchase properties, which is a classic yeah. upper class maneuver. It turns out the royals are really quite upper class scum. Surprise! Um, <laughs> their interest isn't in taking care of people. Their interest is in taking care of themselves, and this is just another indicator. And people will always say like, "How Charles is the down to earth one who who wants to care about the planet and blah blah." Well, no, he wants to care about uh, things that don't profit him. I guess. Um, because why else would you want to block people from from buying property if it wasn't just like a selfish desire to hold on to it yourself? Um, and again, the main problem, no matter what the motive is, is that we've got the royals interfering with okay. our laws, the ones that we, the public, are are wanting made and are, are are voting to be made. They're they're allowed to come in and like veto what we what we wanted. It's disgusting. Okay, well, let's move on to something slightly happier. There's a new robot on the surface of Mars. How about that? Oh, yeah. NASA successfully landed its Perseverance rover in a giant crater on the surface of the planet Mars on last Friday, I believe. This six-wheeled vehicle will now spend at least the next two years drilling into rocks, looking for evidence of past life. Indeed. James, this was uh, uh, impressive. There was some video that I saw of this rover going down. Oh, man. And uh, yeah, clever stuff. What a system. And, and this the, the, the aspect where it had already happened quite a while before the, the folks uh, on, the, on the Earth knew. <laughs> They're just sitting there watching a past event and trying to figure out if, like, <laughs> out with their control, a robot managed to land itself on a different planetary body using an entirely new method of, like, parachute, then, like, basically a, a, a zip line, almost. Essentially, uh, yeah. Yeah, like a really cool system for landing, and I'm sh- and they're testing a, a Mars a Mars helicopter. They're trying to search for signs of life. This is this is a huge step in terms of um, what we have been able to do within our own solar system, and it's really cool. And I watched it live, and I was like super nervy because humans oh, have yeah. had some bad experiences sending things to Mars, and it's hard to get over those. But man, it was a good feeling when it. When, uh, seeing seeing all the NASA folks cheering, all the ones on base, and all the ones who were working from home. Indeed, although it did make me think of that. Was it a NASA rocket? No, a NASA robot going to Mars or a different planet? Which it it went to land, but it landed in the sh- 
It landed in the shadow of a rock. Oh, yeah, the the asteroid. Yeah, yeah, it tried to land on an asteroid, but but it basically landed in the shadow and it couldn't move because it was solar powered. Yeah, and uh, it was stuck in the shadow. It was just gonna it was just gonna be there forever. And you're like, yeah. oh man, you spent how much money getting this thing on an asteroid only for it to land it was, in literally the worst possible place? Yeah, it was still impressive. To be fair, they they did manage to land it, um, just in the wrong well, spot. Did, yeah. and, and every single step is a step forward um, towards more stuff. So the future of Mars could be anything from people staying there for the rest of their lives to using it as like a a place to do secondary uh, space travel because it's easier to take uh-huh. off from Mars than it is from Earth. Uh, you know, all these really? things. Yeah, oh yeah, lower gravity. So it's easier to escape orbit. Amazing. Well, I suspect, James, that in the life... Well, I'm not going to promise this. I'm not going to be Boris Johnson. I suspect that in the lifetime of this podcast, we oh, will wow. see people attempt to go to Mars. Well, How we're building that? up to it. We're building up to it. Elon is keen. Scumbag Elon is keen <laughs> to be the first person to profit off of Mars as well. I'm sure he will. Okay, one final story before we get to entertainment. And this is Texas Senator Ted Cruz, who flew to Mexico amid the worst winter storm in decades yeah. in the state of Texas, which left yeah. millions without power and water, at least a dozen people dead. Uh, and 13 million Texans told to boil their water because it may be contaminated. Yeah, so the, their water system lost pressure, and when water systems lose pressure, contaminants may enter a bit more easily, so yeah. Right, so so defending his trip to Cancun... Oh, defending, yeah, like scapegoating. Yeah, indeed, Mr. Cruz said that uh, with the schools all closed, he had booked a vacation for his daughters who had asked to take a trip with their friends, uh-huh. and that he and his staff were in constant communication with the state and local leaders to get to the bottom of what was happening mm. in Texas. He did not apologise for making the trip amid the state of emergency in Texas, but he later said it may have been a mistake. Ah, yes. But don't apologize. Then you can be held accountable. So, so just just on this, first of all, the the fact that we are seeing in I want to say one of the warmest states in America, yeah, which is usually accustomed to you know baking sunshine and high thirties, forty degree heat. Yeah, snow was a novelty for the majority of people there. Yeah, to to have some of the pictures I saw of people's roofs collapsed, of icicles hanging off of ceiling fans. Yeah. It was some really astonishing and awful stuff. And as you say, James, the destruction to the houses there. Terrible. Because of just, I don't know, the way that they're built, mainly just for the sun. Yeah. Clearly just could not handle the winter weather. Houses not winterized, infrastructure not winterized, even though uh, a decade ago, um, the federal government commissioned a report on what Texas needs to do to winterize and be safe for the future. Yep. They didn't do it because, of course, Texas, bad government, bad. We better be all on our own deregulating everything. Um, and, of course, they, they and on their independent grid with very little regulation, came across a crisis because it's easier and cheaper to set up a system that works 99% of the time, then a system that works 100% of the time, and those little cost-cutting measures, which aren't even little, it's, it saves you a lot of money to aim slightly low of perfect. <laughs> um, th- those cost-cutting measures have now cost lives, and the, the only people in government in Texas for however long who have been deregulating and trying to make things easier for businesses to make money off of people suffering... Uh, are, are accountable and the companies are accountable uh-huh. um, I don't do I think any of them are going to be held accountable either legally or in the vote no the system's broken there um, but we do know that Texas and their 
a right-wing free market system clearly does not work for the good of the people. This is a clear indicator. If anything else ever could be, it's an absolute failure. Never mind the fact that people have gone bankrupt to, to pay for their power bills because the companies charged ex excessive amounts, which of course ends up uh, taking money out of the pockets of the consumer. James, we have actual things to review this week in our What You've Been Watching This Week segment. Hey You've got a couple of movies. Yeah. I've got a couple of movies. Yeah. And we've got one piece of Jared Leto news, which oh. I'm going to save till the end. Yeah. Dear listener, if you have watched any movies or finished any TV shows, send us a review. And we'll talk about it. We'll play it. But James, you've got a couple of movies and I've got a couple. Would you like to go first? Oh, okay. Pick one. What one? What one should I do? Right. Well, I can see that you watched Uncut Gems. I would love to hear right. what you thought of this. I'll just give a, a couple of sentences of Precy. This is the Adam Sandler movie, which is currently on Netflix. Uh, he won a host of movie awards for this, but was Indeed. snubbed by the Oscars, which was a travesty, in my opinion. Indeed. And uh, it was, in my eyes, and I'll, I'll wait to see what James says. In my eyes, is one of the most tense films uh, I've ever sat through. Uh, okay, James, on you go. Yeah, I'm going to second that one. That film does not stop. Uh, <laughs> it is. It, it just gets going, revs you up to high intensity, big, big, um, big heart rates and all the, all the problems that you face when you're in tense situations. And it just kind of doesn't stop. There's like, I think, one or two moments where things kind of relax for a little while. But even then, you have this continual feeling because you know about everything that's going on in the background that this is just a break before things are going to explode again. Yep. Um, the sound like, adds to this, like the sound design adds to this aspect, the music adds to it, all the visuals add to it, the the sheer mess of it sometimes, the way they, they mix things about and make it hard to follow different bits adds to this huge amount of tension you'll feel as a viewer, but it is very enjoyable tension and it pays off. Every single second of it pays off. Um, the characters and main character in particular, stupidity is well earned. It's not just characters being dumb because script. Yeah, yeah. It's characters being dumb because they are grounded and realistic. They've got clear problems. They've got clear conflicting goals from with each other. It's all it's all well crafted. Yeah. Uh, all the characters well defined. The the ones we know very well, of course, and also the background characters super well defined, and they all they all play their role. Um, the film itself has more depth than I expected because I had been told and I had heard about all the intensity and all of the drama and all this but I didn't expect quite as much character from different parts where you've got family dynamics going on and you've got uh, dynamics just passing by people in the street going on where you've got a bit more depth to character than the maybe is advertised by all the reviews Um 100% all the awards and acclaim were earned and it definitely deserved a few more um, and my goodness did, did it just keep surprising me right to the very end yeah how did you feel about the ending I, I it was astounding it, it, it's, it, con it sets the film in concrete as one that you will think about for a long time like genuinely the amount of films that I've gone and seen at the cinema pre-pandemic are into the hundreds and it is one which will last the test of time yeah. and certainly the closing scenes scene sorry my goodness. Yeah. Just, and the Safdie brothers who directed this deserve all the credit in the world for putting together this uh, stylish, um, 
aesthetically pleasing movie as you say it's it's not just mm-hmm. the performances and the story it's the way it's told it's the way it's put together i thought was yeah. brilliantly crafted yeah and, and sandler when he tries hard he does a very good serious sandler uh, he does character i would say most of his serious ca- characters are kind of uh, sandlered They're, they kind of are him but exaggerated in several ways but in this film all those exaggerations were completely uh needed completely but, but, perfect but to me, this was a movie in which I forgot I was watching Adam Sandler and yeah, I was, it, yeah, this was completely a yeah, bought yeah. into the character he was playing. Absolutely. Okay, right. That, that's one movie off the list. Here is my first one, which was a new watch for me, a first time watch. We talked about the trailer a few months ago. It is on Netflix. It is called Project Power ah. or Project Power, depending on how you feel about it. Mm. I'll tell you what, James, This the plot of this movie was... The kind of thing which somebody probably wrote in a napkin and thought, hey, this is a great idea. Right. Or the, the kind of movie that I would have come up with when I was 15 and thought, hey, let's make this movie. Right. That's the kind of level it's aimed at. That's the sort of level of script, of plot. That's where we're at. So just to give you some background details, this is Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the lead roles alongside Dominique Fishback, who is, I want to say, a 16-year-old newcomer. Mm -hmm. And it tells the story of people who are taking these drugs. And regardless, they don't know what's in the drugs, but it will give them a superpower for five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Jamie Foxx is out to right some wrongs and rescue his daughter. Indeed. And that's essentially the plot in which... <laughs> I mean that that's it. That is it. That's the film. Things yeah. things happen. People take drugs and they have a superpower. Basically all the superpowers you can imagine. Uh most of the characters other than Jamie Foxx are 2D sketches of people. And the amount of female characters, I think there's maybe th- 3. Right. And the villains are so terrible. They don't even get names. They are, they're literally not even named. And there are maybe... They're, they're in the closing scene, obviously. All right. But they maybe between them have 10 lines of dialogue. Yeah. It is a bad movie. And okay. it just... Even for something which was 90 minutes long, it is not worth your time. I'm sure Netflix got all the eyeballs that they wanted for this. But my goodness, it's just a bad film. Stay away. I will. Okay, right. You've got one I more. Did, I did see. I did see some behind the scenes stuff about some of the stunt work in this film, and at the very least, they tried hard with some of the stunts and the choreography and stuff. I know that much. Um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but that, that's the nature of these things. When you get a stuntman film, they're either incredible or they are just a showreel of what you think would be cool when you're 15. There was there was one one thing just when you said that there was one guy whose superhero power was turning invisible. Right, but of course, the way that he was filmed, things were kind of bouncing off his skin, and I was wondering how did you film that? Yeah, but that was that was the most amount of questioning the movie made me do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, James, you got. You've... Well, I'm sure the answers are right there. Okay, right, James, you got one more movie. Hit me. I watched Infernal Affairs. Right, this will require some explanation what this movie is because I know what it is, but right, yeah. many of the listeners will not. Infernal Affairs is the original, or at least the first in the original uh, films that The Departed was inspired by. And the, basically, the, the Departed was a remake of. Correct. Uh, the Departed took elements from the film trilogy of Infernal Affairs. Wait, 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 stop, stop. Infernal Affairs is also Chinese? Yeah, Hong Kong film, I believe. There we go. Yes, absolutely. So The Departed took uh, elements from the trilogy, primarily the first film in the Hong Kong trilogy. Um to to create a far more westernized version of a story and 
having now seen Infernal Affairs itself for the first time, even though The Departed is one of my favorite films, um, the remake definitely westernized a lot of the story. Um, okay. A lot of the ways things are shot is far more Western. A lot of the way the story is told is far more Western. They, there's a lot more cheese in the Hong Kong one, as you might expect, from the way that they enjoy making cinema. Yep. Um, want to pick out one thing that is a drastic difference is that in the Western versions of of the version of the film, uh, the ultimate punishment for for being bad is death. Yep. Whereas in the original. Um, with a different philosophy, the ultimate punishment for the for the being of bad is living a life filled with guilt and regret, um, which okay. was huge for me. Seeing that massive change in the way that the story was told, and then understanding why they changed that for the Hollywood version. Um, there, there, there are cinematic decisions that I am not keen on, but again, that's because I'm sure it's just because I've grown up watching different cinema to those to that the these um right. directors well, and the fans of these films are are more used to seeing. Right. Well just on that point, you you're right in that with the departed is very much like, okay, this character did a bad thing, dead. This character did another bad thing, yeah. dead. This other guy did the worst thing, dead. Dead. Yeah. And, and so and that is a is a very westernized thing. I, I get that. But that's a really interesting point. Yeah. And and that kind of flows into a few of the other things. Is the film is, is has got more philosophy in it than the departed does. Um, and the, I think the way that they set up a few of the scenes I liked more in this one, the way that uh, a certain inside man was communicating with his handler, it just made more sense. Um, and it, overall, it's basically the same film, so it's just as enjoyable, Okay. but it's foreign language and it's a bit older. Um, so a very enjoyable watch. If you love The Departed, watch the film. If you've never seen The Departed, I'd say watch this one first, just so you get to have the inverse experience of me and tell me what it's like <laughs> watching the original and then the remake. I'm not surprised I liked it because it's it's positively reviewed across the board and the remake is good, so go for it. Excellent. Okay, I've got one final review. It was something I was watching for the second time, but Graham was seeing for the first time. It is 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. Which is on Netflix. It's the sort of spin-off slash unofficial sequel to Cloverfield, yeah. which was the big handheld camera monster movie of, I want to say, the mid-2000s, which yeah, I've never actually like- seen. You've never seen the that, the the film film? I've never I've never seen Cloverfield. No. Oh man, it was it was it was a slight revolution in in a few ways. Okay. Not, not, not like I wouldn't give it critical acclaim, but like actually give <laughs> like a seven out of ten sort of movie. Like fries, fries, fries the movie. <laughs> right, fries the movie. So, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Uh, for those of you who are new to this, has a cast of three. Yeah. It is Elizabeth Mary Winstead and John Goodman, oh, who yeah. you'd recognise from everything. Mm-hmm. And then some other guy whose name I can't remember. Me neither. And that's about it. I've forgotten who he's, it is. He's, he's not been in very much. However... Yeah, and you, t- you don't need to see the, the original film. No. It, this is really loosely connected. Nothing is important. It is as loosely connected as literally it's an address with it's, the word Cloverfield in it. Yeah, it's in the name, yeah. <laughs> so, the story is, I'll give you just a brief outline because I, don't, I want to avoid spoilers, is that the three of them are stuck in a room together. In a basement, I should say, in rooms and basements, because there's there's fear, or rather John Goodman's character has told them that there's been an invasion or some sort of attack, and they must stay in this basement for the next yeah. two years. Yeah. And Mary's character is very, very unhappy about this, as you would be, seeing as she's just with these two random strangers. Indeed. Uh, at the start, handcuffed to, to walls. So... 
the, the movie then goes on from there and I'll keep the rest to myself. And if you go, want to go see it, genuinely, I would recommend it. That's that's my, my starting point, is that it is it is a fun movie to a point. Uh, yeah. And let me explain. Right. Once it gets to the final act... Okay. And as you would expect, things start going sideways. Mm-hmm. That's where it loses me. Okay. Now, I remember watching the movie at the time and thinking it was it was great. I watched it this time and thought it was good. All right. Okay. I, I don't know why, but I feel like just at a certain point, and if you've seen the movie, you know which point it is, all the tension it just disappears because you can, yeah. you just, you're like, oh, okay, now I can breathe. Yeah. There is, there is this big point where all of a sudden the whole mood shifts. It completely it, yeah. changes. Yeah. The mood the mood changes from the tension similarly to Uncut Gems, but but just not in yeah. the same league. Like character driven tension. Yeah, it is the fact that yeah. it builds and builds and builds and then you exhale and then it suddenly just becomes this other movie, which it wasn't yeah. for the for the final, you know, ten minutes. Yeah. And I just felt it was it was the wrong direction for that movie to, to go. It was the wrong way for that movie to end. Now I don't know how I would have ended it. But not the way that it did. I yeah, I can see that, yeah. And and having now seen uncut gems, I can think of a few better endings, I think. Yeah, yeah. So so that was my main takeaway. And I was surprised actually, because I remembered it being really good. And it is. The the performances are great. The the fact that it's so self-contained, you know, within essentially just these three characters talking and doing stuff for the best part of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then just at the very end, it just it I don't know. I was just felt disappointed. So it is worth seeing. I would be really interested to see if anyone else who's listening has watched it or is going to watch it. It's only like an hour and a half. Yeah. And uh, would be interested to hear your thoughts because that is what I thought. Uh, that's what I thought. No, yeah, I give it a solid recommend just purely because the characters are so well done and and that the f- almost all the film is really well executed until the final few moments where it, it kind of just drags on a bit. Okay, that is it for our entertainment section, bar this final story, which, you know, no Cease Operate episode is truly complete without a mention of Jared Leto. <sighs> because ahead Indeed. of the uh, the release of Zack Snyder's Justice League, which for those of you who are still paying attention, is this extended supercut, which uh, is going to be released on HBO Max in the next few months. <laughs> oh, no. They've started releasing promo images and this new one of Jared Leto's Joker, yeah. who is in a Jesus pose. He is, he's got his hands raised. Oh, so he has a, controversial. He has a crown of thorns on. He's wearing all oh, white. Boy. Somebody stop them. This... They're making such strong statements. Right. <laughs> Just explain what's the thinking. What is if you're Zack Snyder, <laughs> just, if you're any of the big wigs behind this, or you're Jared Leto, why is no, the, why are we doing this in 2021? It's not the 90s anymore. It's, it's just it's just it's just headlines. All they wanted was a headline, and they did a very old trick to get headlines. That's it. They did, they did a hey look Jesus pose, and then people are going to complain, and then it's going to get headlines. It, it's not edgy. They were trying to be edgy, maybe, but I guess they're all really old. Um, I don't know. This was a completely nonsense decision. It looks dumb. And the last thing that any film needs is more of that version of the Joker. <laughs> um, but that's what we're getting. <laughs> well, exactly. Of, of all the Jokers you could have had and said, you know what? We want more of this guy. The last one you wanted is Jared Leto. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just not. The, the, the least the least whelming Joker. <laughs> he's just, he is, he is, yes, you're right. I was going to say he's whelming, but he's not. No. He's just bad. Yeah. He's not even underwhelming. Underwhelming is a compliment. He isn't on the scale of whelm. 
Okay, well, I'm sure we're on that scale somewhere. James, <laughs> it has been a pleasure, but time is up. Yeah. Thank you for your time and thank you all for listening. If you have any thoughts on what we've discussed today, please do tweet us at Seesaw Parade or write us an email, seesawparade at gmail.com. Really appreciate it. And James, any final thoughts before I go and have my dinner? I promise that that next podcast, I'm going to be less scattered and tired. My goodness. I don't even remember what we talked about (laughs) anymore. Well, you go have a lie down. I'll see you next week. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Take care.